Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast, where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Reverend Kusla coming to you from downtown Los Angeles, from the International Buddhist Meditation Center. Last night I had the honor and privilege of interviewing Reverend Echo. Reverend Echo was the abbot of Shasta Abbey. And what you're about to hear is that interview. I hope you find it interesting, and I hope you find it useful. Now, the interview with Reverend Echo, the abbot of Shasta Abbey. You wanted me to um, ask to answer some other questions. May I ask again what they were? I've talked a little bit about her and about our place. Well, uh, about you. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did you find your teacher? And, and how did you end up at Shasta Abbey? I was a... Uh, I was originally taught as a Roman Catholic, and I um, left that. And during my high school years, I studied Eastern cultures and religions. And when I got to studying Buddhism, uh, it changed all of my ideas about what religion was and what religious practice uh, could be. And uh, as like most, like many uh, teenage boys at the time, I forgot about it <coughs> until I returned to the United States. I'd been living in Europe for uh, six years, and I went to college and I began to study it again. And then I began to uh, learn to meditate and to actually be drawn to practice. And I realized quickly that if I was going to uh, really practice uh, Buddhism and I was drawn to Zen Buddhism, I would have to find a teacher. And in those days, there was uh, very little written on the subject, and there were very few places in the United States where you could actually go and study with someone who was uh, a Zen teacher or a Zen master. And picture my naivete when I I had no idea in those days that Zen masters were monks, that they were monastics. So I went to one place, and I wrote to another place, and neither of those worked out very well. I was in college. And then I wrote to this new place, which had just started, that was called Shasta Abbey. And they wrote back and invited me to come. And I, uh, I came to... Uh, the very um, pink uh, uh, pink place, which was in the process of being repainted, but we, we were repainting for about six or seven years, as I remember. There was so much pink. Uh, even the toilets were painted pink. And um, I came, and I, I realized that I... Um, Whatever it was I was looking at, looking for, I, I had found it there, and I found a, a practice that I felt I could really do. And in meeting uh, Reverend Master, I felt that she uh, was the first person who really understood um, what it was that I wished to do. I didn't understand it myself, and not only that, but she was uh, completely capable of teaching me how to do it. So I, uh, I asked her if I could become her disciple, and she said the, um, she, that I could, 
and that the best way to do that was to be a monk, and did I want to do that? And uh, like many young people, um, without, well, like some young people in, the, at those, in those days and at that time, I spoke without thinking, and I said, sure, and uh, uh, ordained and was there for about a year when I began to have second thoughts. So I ran away for about 10 months, not in the middle of the night. I, I said that I was leaving. But after I'd been away for 10 months, I realized um, I was 20 years old at that point. I ordained when I was 19. I realized that, in fact, although it was going to be very hard and I had no idea how I was going to do it, that I really wanted to do it. So I went back, and uh, I have been there ever since until uh, this very day. And uh, I uh, felt then, and I still believe today, that um, whether it is one's um, intention to become a monastic or whether it is one's intention to be uh, a layperson, Uh, Either is according to one's karma and that one can uh, fully and completely practice uh, Buddhism, Buddhist meditation, uh, the practice of the Buddhist precepts and applying the Dharma in one's everyday life. And um, I'm happy to say that I've continued to do that to this very day and hope to continue to do it for a long time to come. Now, to say somebody comes up to you and says, Reverend Master Echo, I really want to be a monk at Shasta Abbey. What do I have to do? Well, um, I would say, if I did not know the person, I would say, um, why don't you uh, stay with us for a while and let's get to know you. And uh, we would uh, have the person live as a guest and the monastic community would observe them and um, see as best we can uh, what sort of a person they are and what their character is like and um, spend uh, a considerable amount of time doing that. You know, I, um, I am reluctant nowadays to um, say to someone, sure, you know, just come. Uh, because I've, uh, we've had a lot of experience with that, and that has very mixed results. And the people who come to be monks in, in particular have to be very um, strong uh, psychologically. They have to have a firm character, and they have to have a very uh, deep aspiration to do monastic training, which is difficult. Um, and they have to be willing to practice uh, the Buddhist precepts and especially monastic precepts um, with a great amount of uh, diligence and commitment. Um, Once I knew the person and I had felt that they indeed had a, as we would call it, an aspiration for the way, I would um, probably suggest that they go away for a while and think about it. And um, having thought about it for a while, uh, see if uh, they still want to do that. 
And if they still wanted to do it, I would have them come back and spend more time with us and uh, repeat the process all over again. And again, just get to know them. Um, Maybe um, two or three um, out of four people will not get past that point and would say, I'd I'd rather be a a lay trainee, in which case they can come and and stay for as long as they would like and practice with us. But um, for the one person who um, says they still wish to be a a monastic, I would then um, give them a a very long and highly invasive questionnaire, uh, asking them all sorts of um, uh, very, very personal questions about themselves and their life, and uh, see what they say about that, with the understanding that um, they are uh, entering into a spiritual contract with the community, and it behooves them to tell literally the truth. And having written the questionnaire myself, I know all the areas that can potentially turn into problems, um, as do uh, the other experienced senior monks there. And we go through that process, and we um, uh, also discuss their health in uh, minute detail and all the other um, uh, personal aspects of their lives. And uh, they have to be uh, single and unmarried. Uh, If a person is married, um, I won't even consider it, consider the matter. Um, if they are in a relationship of any kind, I would um, not ask them to uh, stop their relationship, but I would also not consider it. And I would want to wait until the person had been um, out of a relationship and by themselves for about two years. Um, and then if, um, if they seem to... Uh, Uh, still at this point want to do it and still um, appear to be uh, able to answer all the questions to our satisfaction and we're deeply picky and um, they're in decent health and uh, they have no uh, debts or any dependents, um, then we will accept them on a trial basis and they will come and uh, this is now someone we know reasonably well. They'll come and stay with us as what we call a postulant. And a postulant wears robes, but does not, has not performed ordination. And they don't wear the Buddhist kesa, which is what I'm wearing. And the, their postulancy would last approximately um, a year, uh, maybe more. Uh, we've gone as long as uh, two years with some people. And then, if they um, make it through that... When they're a postulant, do they yes. have certain chores at, this, at the monastery? Yes, they would live in with the monastic community. Okay. But they, we have a, an area of the monastery that's only um, where only the monastics go, which is roughly half of the property. And that's where their private, private quarters are. And the um, person would live in with the community, and they are... Uh, we have a a traditional system of seniority, and they are the most junior in the community. And everyone watches them. And um, 
uh, treats them as someone who is sincere and who is going to be making a, a, a deeply serious commitment. And um, everyone helps that person to see if they really want to do this or not. And um, encourages them when they can and exhorts them when they need it. And after um, a year or two has gone by, they and they are suitable for ordination and they still are determined and we wish to do it, then they would actually do their first ordination and enter as a novice monk. And a novice monk is um, last five years minimum. And uh, then during that time, they are wearing robes, they are living the life of the monastics, and uh, they are receiving instruction and classes and um, learning what it means to be a, a Buddhist monk, participating in all the, um, in all the um, activities of our community. There is uh, no privacy. They live in the meditation hall, and um, which is a, uh, in the traditional Japanese system, was called a sodo, which is um, platforms with cupboards and they keep all their things in one cupboard. That's what they come with. They have to get rid of everything else. And uh, obviously we put a, a divider down the hall at night and separate men and women. There's, um, we, are, we have a very, very strict rule of celibacy from the moment they actually come as a postulate. And uh, they will live in that meditation hall as long as they're physically able to do that for approximately five years. And they live out of a little cupboard and they learn how to make um, their own body and mind the meditation halls. They learn um, the practice of uh, our tradition and learn all the duties that are um, encompassed within the life of a Buddhist monk, which is basically um, study of the Dharma, meditation, uh, precepts and selfless service to the primarily in the beginning to the monastic community but also to the lay community who comes to the monastery as well. And if all that goes well, um, after five years minimum, and sometimes it goes longer, I remember in one case it went to ten years, the person does their uh, second ordination, which we call Dharma transmission, and they become a um, in name, uh, a senior member of the community. However, in fact, they have another uh, two years to go uh, where they are learning the duties of a priest. They would be regarded as a, a full priest at that point, a full monk, but they are just learning how to do that, how to teach meditation, how to perform ceremonies, and their um, their uh, religious life becomes more focused and more committed than it was before. And should they get through that, and um, usually if they get that far, um, the, the second ordination is the point of no return. You're in, you're in there for life after that, as far as we're concerned. Um, two years after that, they would actually become a, a senior member of uh, the monastery and of our order, and they would be able to teach and lead retreats and uh, do counseling and uh, take very serious responsibility in the monastery and help 
the various monastic offices with guests or sacristy or administration or kitchen or whatever they would be assigned to. So you have, um, as a monk, you have at least, including the postulancy at the very minimum, you have um, eight years of uh, study before you would be regarded as um, fit to be a teacher. And then to me, the real, um, the real challenges start because uh, learning how to teach is a very difficult matter that one is constantly learning, as you well know. And um, I think that it, it takes um, many years before one learns uh, to do that um, skillfully and to do as little harm as possible. For every um, two people who enter the who enter the monastic sangha, uh, who actually get that far, um, one usually makes it, hmm. and uh, so you have a a 50% attrition rate, which I think for us is actually quite good. Um, of the many people who ordained when I started, about half of them are left, which is regarded as a a very good um, record and speaks highly of the of the teacher. And it is um, being a monk is a difficult thing, and uh, doing it for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years um, takes daily commitment and um, the uh, the uh, successes are uh, few, the failures are many, and the um, overwhelming thing that one has to do is be willing to do the practice every day and come back to that and make that one's uh, true uh, joy and commitment. Um, the monks are not um, a bunch of uh, sour, dried-up old um, uh, uh, what's it? Um, they're all very, very nice people, and we have a, uh, I think, what is a happy community, and uh, a lot of very fine people there. And they are people; they're human beings. We all have our problems. We all have our stuff, and you can never um, uh, go beyond your own humanity. You are you are constantly coming in contact with it, and also as um, our community is very good at reminding uh, each other uh, very often that we are all human and imperfect. So for those who would like to do it, it is um, a wonderful life. And um, one can also have a very rich and rewarding life uh, living and training as a Buddhist layperson. Could you speak just a little bit about what you're finding now with the aging factor? Yes. And the new building that's just been completed. Yes. And then what's in and then the cemetery. Yes, we have a um, a new building that um, was the first building that we ever did not build ourselves. Um, all of our buildings we've done ourselves, and this building is our first monastic residence. The original abbey buildings were built in the 1930s and 40s, and now they're getting kind of old. And uh, we built a, a, uh, a monastic residence that has 13 rooms in it, although our community is uh, pushing 25. And um, 
it was built by a, uh, a company from uh, soup to nuts, from uh, clearing the ground to hanging the curtains and putting in furniture. And then the monks just moved in, which was radical for us. Um, our community, when we all started, we were all young. And now the median age is um, low 50s. And we have, uh, we just had a, a, a young man ordain who's 29. But the rest of the monks begin in their mid-40s, um, and the oldest is 73. So all those of us who built the um, Shasta Abbey are in our 50s and 60s now. We have seven monks who are over 60. And um, we are an aging community, and all are experiencing the joys and sorrows of aging with um, health and uh, not remembering things as well as we used to. Um, and we also have a, uh, a cemetery. Uh, the Shasta Abbey property is, um, is legally zoned um, as a cemetery. The entire property actually is a cemetery, although you're not allowed to uh, put uh, cremated or buried remains um, anywhere near some obvious areas like kitchens and uh, septic and that sort of thing. And uh, we um, all expect to uh, die there and be. Uh, most of us will be cremated. And my late master has a, a special place with a stupa there, uh, which is a Buddhist um, funeral spire. And... Uh, it's an ongoing reminder of impermanence that you're not going to be going on to somewhere else. Most of us who are there, and um, although some of us may change monasteries and or temples, the majority of us will be there until we're, until we're dead. And um, I'm personally quite happy with that. I've lived there for 35 years, and I can't imagine going anywhere else, um, although I'm perfectly capable of doing that uh, if necessary. What were some of the challenges when your teacher died and you were elected as abbot? Did you find that to be uh, a bit stressful? Um, it was very challenging. Um, uh, she did a lot of uh, preparatory work. Her health had never been bad. She died of diabetes and was paralyzed for the last uh, three years of her life from the waist down and then the paralysis um, just inched up her body until her, um, she died of a stroke. Uh, the community uh, elected me as the abbot in 1996, and uh, I was uh, faced immediately with the task of continuing a, uh, a religious community and a monastic community um, with um, a very uh, integral uh, role for the lay people um, after the founder, who was, um, we believe, was a very great person, uh, died. And the footsteps that I had to step in were very big, and my feet were very small in comparison. Um, 
so I, uh, most importantly, had to keep up my commitment and encourage the community to keep up theirs. And in our order, which she started, which is now called the Order of Buddhist Contemplatives, we had um, some temples and some uh, two monasteries. And as time went on, some of the older senior monks wanted to go and teach in other places and do other things, which is perfectly uh, understandable and reasonable. And um, I began to do uh, ordinations. I did my first um, a year or two before she died and then had the um, interesting experience of realizing that when you are the abbot of a monastery and you're teaching people from that um, point of view that um, you have to go back to uh, square one. And even though I'd had a lot, I'd had a lot of experience, I thought at the time with teaching, I realized that in fact, I, um, if I'd ever thought I knew anything, it was um, definitely based on chutzpah or hubris. So I feel I've been learning everything uh, over again and still continue to do so uh, to this very day. But um, uh, finding that one had to keep up one's own and encourage others to keep up their commitment to the place and to the practice. Um, uh, Another was uh, finding my own uh, way of teaching and being able to communicate uh, the Buddha Dharma in a way that people would understand, and uh, learning to be a, um, uh, a father, a friend, uh, a, a monk, and um, sometimes a parent to a community with um, adults in it from the age of 29 up to the age of 73, to um, learn to be uh, kind to everyone and also to keep our focus on what we had been taught and our eyes um, looking backward to the, our traditional practice but also stepping forward. We, were, uh, we have been a monastery of Western people since the very beginning and um, being Westerners, Western monastics in a culture which has no idea of what monasticism is. Um, except for the uh, unusual number, for the small number of um, Catholic monastics, is a um, is an unusual thing and presents a uh, a series of many challenges. One of the things that we had to do is that Buddhist monks live on dana; they live on donations, and we had to educate our uh, congregation to um, learn the reciprocal relationship where uh, monks, both male and female, um, give teaching and will provide monasteries and facilities uh, for places for people to come to and a place to practice and to ask people without forcing them in any way or telling them that they should that. Um, if we are going to continue to ask them to please help to support us. 
And I have been really amazed, actually, at how um, generous people are and how kind they are. Um, over, over half of our food is donated, and we are able to provide um, uh, health insurance for everybody in our monastery who is insurable. And our local uh, doctors and hospitals are willing to um, either provide free care or give us help. And uh, if you, we've learned that if you if you are willing to practice uh, noble poverty, which is what the founder of our tradition, uh, uh, Zen Master Dogen, taught, that people will respond in kind with. Um, generous heart because they want to see the Dharma continue. And we would like to continue that by providing uh, a place for them uh, in order to do that. And where there are people who are um, dedicated 24 hours a day to doing that and can help them in whatever um, way they are searching for the Buddha Dharma to do it for themselves. So we have quite a rigorous schedule of Retreats, and we have people staying with us all the time, and um, we seem to be uh, surviving in a uh, nobly poor but um, happy uh, place so far. And do you have any animals there? We do. We have animals. We are a we are a religious uh, sanctuary, which means that if um, uh, any animals come onto the property, uh, we will adopt them. And we have um, 16 cats, and we have five dogs, and we have one parrot, and um, we have um, just, I believe, I have heard from uh, my assistant that we had to trap one of the squirrels because its face was badly damaged. We're not sure what's wrong with it, but we're going to. Uh, we've trapped the squirrel, uh, which is one of the tree squirrels. We have thousands of them. And uh, we're going to um, uh, take it to our vet, who is going to try to help it and see if these injuries are um, just injuries or if it's suffering from something more serious. And then we're going to try to do what we can to help it and then release it. And we've done that before with one, and it was reasonably successful. But we also have wild animals coming onto the property. And you mentioned the other night as we were talking that you had goats and actually made cheese at one time? We had at one time, um, were given goats. And they, um, we took them and didn't quite know what to do with them, but we realized that um, if we took very good care of them, they would give us uh, milk and a cheese, which we uh, lived on because we didn't ha- uh, often didn't have the money to buy those things. And uh, traditionally, uh, monks are not supposed to raise animals, but we um, necessity overcame us under the circumstances, and also we treated them very well. And all of them lived out their natural lives. And um, we had a, an agreement that um, for the kids that they had, um, that um, if we couldn't take them, we'd find them a good home. And if a person uh, took one, they would uh, promise, sign a document saying they would never harm it. And if they wanted to, if they couldn't take care of it, they would return it to us and we would take it back. 
But um, our our goats, um, in order to take care of animals uh, responsibly, it needs a lot of time and a lot of care. And as time went on, we just phased out that side of our lives. But um, they were very wonderful and, and great teachers for all of us and very tolerant, too. And we've had, you know, taken on uh, ducks and uh, geese and uh, chickens and a lot of, uh, tried to save a lot of beings from uh, slaughter and uh, had parakeets fly onto our property even once that didn't live very long, but we gave it a happy, a happy end of its life. So we try to do our best for them. Does anybody else have questions that they'd like to ask? Sheena, how about you? Do you have a question? Do you find this interesting? Yeah, I, I definitely did. It seems like a very long time. I didn't really realize how long it would take. Oh, did you become a monk? Yeah. <laughs> In many ways, you know, how, how long does it take to get to know someone? You know, do you know them um, after a month, after three months? And... Um, Time is a wonderful, um, it either uh, will um, focus commitment or it will show that the commitment is better put somewhere else. And if the person is really willing to um, give their life for what they're going to do, they're going to be willing to spend time um, at the monastery uh, doing the practice and seeing if it's really right for them. one of the things that I think is very difficult for um, Americans, I'm not sure if it's true for all Western people, but I've heard that, that a lot of us have a problem, is with commitment. And um, this, is a very, uh, this is a very demanding commitment. And um, when you go into it, it has to be uh, total or as total as you can make it. And then as you go on, you learn um, that it has to become even more total than you thought it was. And it has to be the, uh, the right thing for you um, because there's no point in trying to do something about your uh, suffering um, when you're miserable <laughs> and continue to be miserable because you've made the wrong decision. And actually, we try to help people to make the, the right decision. And I, um, I like to encourage people by saying, you know, don't, you're better off being a first-class layperson than a, um, an unhappy monk. And um, to others, I would say you're, you're much better off being a happy monk than an unhappy layperson. For me, it was completely right. For others, I've, I've told people, you know, don't do this. Um, it, wouldn't, it really wouldn't suit you. Mm-hmm. Was it that they would, you would see in them that they would prefer to have a family or have a relationship, or that their answers weren't being that in Buddhism? Or um, both of those things, uh, I have seen. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen that happen. Um, I've I've seen um, various variations of that. There are some people um, we call um, ordination, renunciation of the world, and um, if a person is still in love with the world in some way or not, um, then they can't actually leave it because it's very important to be a volunteer. 
Um, it's, you need to be a volunteer to, to practice Buddhism to begin with. And you especially have to be a volunteer in order to renounce the world. If you become a monastic, you're taken at your word. And you do, in fact, renounce the world. You don't um, live uh, separate from everything and everyone, but you do let go of all of your um, old ties and commitments in order to have one commitment that is uh, total. And part of the early years of monastic training is really to learn um, whether or not that commitment that you have made and are continuing to make is going to be um, complete for you. And I have, you know, I've seen people decide after 10, uh, 15, 20 years that they don't wish to, to do it anymore. And um, that can be uh, traumatic for them or for the, um, for a community. And I've seen it enough so that I um, know the signs and try to help the person to make a, a smooth transition if they want to leave or if they want to deepen their commitment to monastic life to try to address that in our uh, monastic context. Um, because when it's right, it's very, very right. And when it isn't um, right anymore, um, it, things can go uh, very sour for the person. And you have a lot of people, you all live in community. And even though after being, when you are a senior monk, you have the, the luxury of um, having your own quarters and this kind of thing, it's not like having your own space or your own apartment or your own house in the world. You're living in a family um, in which you're practicing uh, selfless service and dedicating yourself to the practice of enlightenment for yourself and all sentient beings. And whew, that's a lot of work. So you have to really want to do that in order to keep it alive. But it's possible. It's doable. And um, it's a, for those who want to do it, it's a wonderful thing. So. What is the day like for this, uh, a novice monk? Because I know their day starts a little bit earlier than the senior monk, or at least I, I remember you saying that. It gets on, yes. <laughs> the, the novice monk, they, um, the ones who live in the meditation hall, um, uh, I actually get up before they do. <laughs> Not quite sure how that ended up that way. But, um, but we, um, the usual rising time is 5 in the morning, and uh, the postulants will be up at 4.30, and their job is to sweep and, uh, and clean the cloister, which is lit. Um, it's, you know, there's electricity there. And if there's snow, they will, um, you know, get snow off the paths and put gravel down. And uh, we will have uh, wake up at 5, and then uh, meditation begins at 5.30. And there's 40 minutes of meditation, and then there's a sutra recitation for about another 40 minutes to an hour. And then everyone goes off to their work, and we have breakfast, which is in silence in our dining hall. And then uh, we have uh, the activities of the day, which can be work or classes or a Dharma talk 
or whatever is or ceremonies, whatever is on the schedule for that particular day. We have our formal noon meal in the meditation hall um, for everyone. Uh, and we eat the, according to the traditional style with um, bowl sets. And uh, we um, even we rest a little bit after lunch. And then we have our afternoon, which will be Dharma talk or classes or work or ceremonies, depending on what we're doing. And then there is um, what is called a medicine meal for those who um, feel that they need to um, have some food in the evening, which seems to be particularly important for um, some of the older monks. We have one who's diabetic who has to eat um, at certain times. And um, there is... uh, um, all the monks take turns in uh, cleaning up the kitchen, and then there is a study period after uh, dinner, and then we have an evening meditation, and then everyone goes to bed, usually about nine. And uh, we, um, during our uh, five-day retreats, monastic retreats, which we have every uh, once a month, we get up at four, and uh, we also have uh, seven-day retreats twice a year, which last um, uh, for, as I said, seven days. And we get up at four, and we're going to bed at nine. So we usually get a minimum of about seven hours of sleep a night, which seems to be enough to keep everybody healthy and uh, awake. <laughs> and then we have you know, various retreats during the year, and our uh, calendar changes um, every five days in a in our monastery is a traditional day where the monks get some extra sleep and there is no meditation that day and we all shave and we um, wash our robes and do mending and it's kind of a mend and make do sort of day that happens every day of the month that has a four or a nine in it so fourth ninth fourteenth nineteenth twenty fourth twenty ninth Twice a month, we have recitation of our precepts, um, which is, uh, takes a number of hours during the day and, and proceeds throughout that day. And um, we close f- to the public in January so that everyone can get some rest. And uh, we have a slightly more relaxed schedule, although we are getting up in the morning to meditate. And... Um, things are, for a contemplative community, uh, we seem to have plenty to do. You know, work is an ethic for us, so everyone does some kind of work for the community every day, and some of that work is um, earthy and manual, and and some of it is um, uh, heady, and uh, we have meetings, uh, just like real people, and um, we have a lot to do. Our life is very full. Mm-hmm. Yes. I have two mm. Are you, is your monastery um, strict vegetarian? It is in the, in the sense that we are not vegan vegetarians, but we uh, we drink milk, and we eat um, free range eggs, and we also uh, eat cheese. And uh, we, but we we are also strict about being vegetarians. Uh, we won't accept any meat. Um, there's no uh, alcohol. Um, 
There's um, don't allow tobacco and obviously uh, drugs of any kind unless it's um, prescribed by a doctor. As you get older, mm-hmm. as I get older, what, what do you see some of the biggest challenges for an older monastic to face? I think that the um, the 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 rigors of the practice mm-hmm. are always rigorous, um, and that one has to approach um, one's age and limitations with um, kindness and with understanding that one will not be able to do the things that one could do when one was 20 and 30. Um, also, I think that uh, it is also necessary to um, continue to deepen one's commitment and monastic practice throughout the years and to um, work on, on trying to be a um, a better Buddhist, uh, a better monastic, and in a way that is um, uh, feasible, and um, to recognize that the the training and practice that we do um, has no ending. At least that's what the masters teach, and that's what the example of the Buddha gives us. And so, because of that, um, we also have to accept our our limitations, but understands that our, that our limitations do not limit us spiritually, and to continue to try to exert ourselves uh, spiritually, while understanding that we will grow um, uh, older and uh, become old and sick and die, and this happened to the Buddha too, and it happens to every human being. And um, Buddhism is a, a religion. Uh, for human beings. And as um, one of my colleagues is so fond of reminding people when he gives Dharma talks, he says, the Buddha Dharma is for you and for no one else. So one can actually do this practice uh, throughout one's life, even if one is um, lying in a lying in bed and can't do anything else. As long as you can breathe, you can do the practice. And never to give up on oneself or anyone else because everything is possible. Well, that's it. That was my interview with Reverend Echo, the abbot of Shasta Abbey. I hope you found it interesting. I hope you found it useful. If you'd like more information about Shasta Abbey, please go to their website, www.shastaabbey.org. If you'd like more information about me, my website is kusala, K-U-S-A-L-A, dot info. And please feel free to email me. I'm happy to receive your emails. I like the feedback, and I'll get back to you just as soon as I can. So until the next time, until the next podcast, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering. <laughs>